Welcome to Life of the School, episode 96. My name is Aaron Matthew. I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life is a School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how'd they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with John Maddox. John teaches biology, ecology, and anatomy and physiology at Festus High School in Festus, Missouri. John began teaching science at Festus High School in 2017-2018 school year, where he is working with his department to adapt instruction to meet the expectations of the next generation science standards. Additionally, he and two colleagues wrote a $25,000 grant to help their school purchase hands-on material to help better align with the new Missouri State science standards. John is a Knowles Teaching Fellow in the 2015 cohort. Welcome, John. Uh, Good to be here, Aaron. Yeah, good. Good to talk to you. I, I, I was saying I was thinking back to uh, the first time we ever hung out together, and it was of all places in Baltimore, Maryland. So, yeah, what are the odds of that? Uh, I just think I, I thought was thinking about that getting ready for this podcast. Like those two lines intersecting, <laughs> way, way far away from home. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy, but here we are. Yeah, so we've hung out in uh, Baltimore. Uh, we've hung out in St. Louis. St. Louis, which is close to you, but nowhere near me. Uh, in San Diego, we had breakfast together in San Diego. Um, I don't know. Did did I see you in Chicago? I know I texted you in Chicago, but I don't know if I actually saw I, you this year in Chicago. So I think in Chicago, uh, we attended a, one of the same, maybe just maybe just one of the same sessions. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But I I don't think we actually had an opportunity to talk. I think uh, I got there right as it was starting, and then. Uh, you left as immediately when it ended to go to another session and so uh, we just never really connected yeah i people give me gave me a hard time like like i I, apparently like i hung out with everybody and nobody in chicago Uh, (laughs) like everybody's like yeah i saw you but you were walking away and i was like yeah but like people were always waving to me and calling to me and stuff like that so um yeah as i uh i was actually just emailing with jackie uh reeves Pepin about the uh the baltimore session that's coming up uh this year uh i don't know i don't know what it's going to be if it's going to be a live session or a virtual session or some sort of hybrid session this upcoming year but i was uh helping evaluate sessions for this upcoming uh upcoming nabt the one that's scheduled for baltimore um yeah you know, this will be the first MABT in several years that I, I will not be there. If it is, it's virtual. I guess I will be there. But if it is in person, I'm not going to be at this one. And so, uh, yeah, it's just making me sad bringing it up, really. But Oh, I'm sorry. Is it, is it, a, is it a schedule conflict or is it um, financial um, or? Uh, it's, a, it's, it, it's sort of a mixture of different things. Uh, none of them are particularly fatal. But one of the things is just I've gone... Um, especially with Knowles, I've done a lot of traveling the last two years, and this is the final year for my fellowship, and mm-hmm. it ends this summer. Um, and we just had um, a new baby. It's our fourth oh. child. Uh, he'll wow. be three months old this month. Um, and my wife is very much just looking for um, some time without me traveling. Uh, and, <laughs> and so I can't really blame her for that. And I told yeah. her I would, I would stay this year. So well, I think that's uh, an appropriate priority um, in order to not travel. I know that uh, D- the Denver NEBT I did not attend uh, because we had a a very good family friend who was getting married 
um, on the the Friday evening of the NABT. And I spent a couple of days thinking about how could I go to this wedding and then fly to Denver or uh, like, and I was like, I couldn't justify like spending like $2,000 out of pocket to fly and go to like three sessions at NABT as much as fun as it would have been to go. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, think about what's best uh, for home and friends and family and, and the people who uh, isn't, aren't your biology teaching family, but your actual family uh, and local uh, people uh, at, at times of those things. So yeah, it's, it, it's okay to miss one every once in a while. And uh, I'm sure in a year or two, if you get to go to a, a, an NABT and we all get to travel and go to conferences, it'll be that much sweeter. Yeah, well, I you just I have it uh, on recording, so if anybody gives me trouble, I'm going to tell them that you said it was okay. And so, <laughs> and with my uh, heavy layer, layer of authority, yeah, yes. So, yeah. well, for your benefit, I I really do hope that it it ends up having a virtual component, which I would not be shocked if it it has a virtual component. In which case, you know, you can do what you've been doing uh, and just attend from home. So that mm-hmm. will be, yeah. I know a lot of conferences have gone that way this spring. So, and I know a lot of PD this summer is, is sifting that way. And I, I think we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's good. Are you, uh, are you still teaching or, um, cause I know I am teaching until, uh, for two more weeks here in June. Uh, are you still in class or are you out of class in Missouri? We are out. Uh, we are in the group of, uh, states that tends to end in May and start in August. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, May 22nd was my last teaching day. And then we had a few days to get grades in and updated. And so I'm officially in summer break. Oh, nice. Yeah, I have a, I have, when this comes out, I will have a week and a half of official classes, but really one week of classes that I've got going. Um, then, then we have like a little mini week where, uh, kids who are not on campus will be going and dropping off their textbooks and picking Mm -hmm. up things from their locker and that sort of stuff. But, um, my seniors are out. So, uh, the Friday before this episode comes out, we're actually, uh, doing a diploma pickup in a, uh, the students are doing what's called a rolling rally. They're driving their cars through campus and they're picking up. Uh, their their diplomas as they drive through campus and we're going to line the streets with like teachers and community members and have like a honking and cheering session as all the seniors drive through the two towns of our school district uh, to pick up their diplomas um, to sort of celebrate the seniors in a, in a sort of unique uh, graduation send-off and then they'll have a, a video uh, send-off a few days later. Yeah you know I was talking to a student um, who uh, she sent me an email and we were talking about her graduating and um, and she was a little sad, like, uh, but she, then she made a comment about like, you know, it certainly won't forget this graduate. And I said, you know, that's true. I mean, as much as it does, it is, it is unfortunate that you're going to miss so many things. Like the other, the one thing you will have for decades is <laughs> a very unique graduation story. Uh, and you know, so that, that, I mean, that's something, that's something nobody wants to hear my graduation story, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like I I think back to my graduation and it was uh I I think it's it sort of it sort of put a point on both the last year's graduation happens to now be more special, the this year's graduation is a little bit more special and next year's graduation will be special because they're all going to be wrapped around what happened this this spring. Um so I, I think it's going to be uh yeah, I think it's going to be unique and memorable um and something that they'll be talking about for years to come. So yeah, for sure. 
as opposed to my high school graduation, which was just one, just like all the ones before it and all the ones that came afterwards. Right. So. Right. It's like, let me tell you about my graduation. You're not going to believe yeah. this. We had to put on these black gowns. Yeah. Just stop. Just stop there. All right. Well, uh, we could talk COVID-19 forever um, and the uniqueness of this year, uh, which we probably will later on. But uh, I want to get into the question I like to start with everybody, which is, uh, like, how did you become a science teacher? Uh, what led you into the science classroom? Because uh, I, I did Internet stalk you a little bit, but I'd love to hear your story, how you go from uh, being somebody who studies biology to becoming uh, the biology teacher that you are. Yeah, sure. Um, I... I... I, th I think I'm unique. Well, let's, let's, let's start over. Uh, so I think um, I've always really, really enjoyed science. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I just liked learning how things work. And I, when I wasn't very old, I can remember I had some, the internet was not very functional and we, we internet we did have was dial up. So I had this, this old, very old book and it had a very short section about collecting insects. And I, I can remember going outside and catching bugs and then putting them on sewing pins and putting them in a shoebox. And my mom was horrified by it, but I, I just thought that was so cool. Um, and then, you know, my mom probably, my, my, um, my dad was a farmer and my mother was a nurse and she always kind of pushed me toward the health sort of field and uh, talked, you know, she kind of, you, know, you want to be a doctor, don't you? I think you should be a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, I was five years old. People asked me what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to be a neurosurgeon. Like, you know, and it was, <laughs> they didn't know what that was. And they, I got, they made fun of me for that, but it was okay. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my mom had these old nursing books on our bookshelf. And I, I always like to look at them and look at the pictures and the diagrams and try to read things and understand. And um, I just, I thought, I thought that was cool. I can, some of my earliest memories are of that. Um, and so later when I got to school and like science was a subject in the later grades, it was my favorite. And um, uh, uh, my sixth grade year, we we didn't actually have science. So uh, it's a long story, but basically I took a year off because we didn't learn any science. Um, mm -hmm. But it kind of came back. Um, and what really sort of sensed uh, science and then also teaching as something that I knew I wanted to do um, is when I got to ninth grade. Uh, one of our, our science teachers left and was replaced by uh, one of my classmates, his grandpa, who was a retired science teacher, came back out of retirement to help the school out for a couple years. And his name was Don Lewis. Um, <laughs> and, and you got Don Lewis come back and teach you. <laughs> yeah, I had Don Lewis come. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for real. And uh, he, he, uh, he he's just this like incredibly charismatic dude. He, he was, I, I, in my memory, he's seven foot tall. I don't believe he was really that tall, but he was this like enormous, uh, both physically and just charismatically man. And with a like big bushy white beard and hair. And, um, but he just, he knew so much stuff about nature and about biology and about science. And he told us, you know, every day was just one fascinating thing from another. And like, no matter what question you asked him, he knew the answers. And if you got something right on the test, man, he would high five you. And you're like, I don't really think that was a big deal, but it was a big deal to him. And it made it a big deal for you. Um, and it, it was just so cool. And so it was like the first time I thought, man, um, that's how learning new things about the world makes me feel and to see it kind of like mirrored in him and then to see him kind of do that for a living. Like he just, like he just learns new things all the time and that's for his job. And then he helps other people learn new things and he teaches them 
to sh- take joy in it and then gets to share in that joy. And I just, I, I, I took about a year and in bi- that was ninth grade biology, I think. And, and I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do what he did. And, uh, um, I, he, he was just really influential on me. He passed away a few years ago, but I, I did mm-hmm. manage to stay in touch with him from time to time over the years. And, um, I kind of owe I think a lot to him, but he was, he was a really cool guy. Um, and then, uh, I went to Missouri state, uh, which was not for any particular reason. That's that interesting, but, um, that was, uh, uh, a really great experience as well. That was also pretty uh, transformative. I met my wife there. I kind of figured out who I was there and learned a lot about, you know, myself and what I wanted to do. Um, and, and I went in on the first day, I basically declared high school education as a major and I knew that's hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, and man, I, I kind of pursued it pretty hard. I, um, I took, uh, all the required classes and then I took extra classes and then I, you know, I read about education in my free time and I read books and I read newspapers and, uh, I just like, it was kind of my calling and it was my profession and it's what I wanted to do. And, um, eventually I even, uh, that kind of led me to do some undergraduate research in science. My advisor, um, kind of recommended that. And she's like, you know, if you really want to know science, you should, you should do some research. And so I ended up in an immunology lab for a year. Um, and I never, I never did anything (laughs) really that interesting in the immunology lab. It was mostly over my head, but what I did get from that was like, you know, to me, um, and I'm sure people disagree with me, but for me, the idea of leaving, uh, university and going to teach other people how to do science um, you know, I had seen just enough in research to think, man, this seems kind of like going to be a band teacher, but not actually knowing how to play any instruments. And and <laughs> that seemed like a bad idea to me. Yeah. And so at the kind of the 11th hour, I decided that instead of going into the classroom, I would um, I would go to grad school and, and do some research. And so uh, my fall semester of my senior year, I started looking at schools and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I... Uh, it was kind of crazy, you know, I was, it was the end of the fall semester and I, what do I want to do? And, and, you know, it's, you know, if you're a biologist, you, you know what you want to do. You want to study turtles or you want to study birds, you want to study, but I wanted to like do biology to teach biology. Like, and so it was, it was kind of weird picking a discipline, but I, I remembered, I mean, I already described to you my, my early experience with insects, but it was kind of that, like I, I kind of came back to that and I thought, you know, that was one of my first things I thought was amazing. Bugs are small. You can work with them in classrooms. You don't have to have internal review, review board approval to mess with bugs. So that's a good thing, you know, and, um, and, and so I started doing research and applied to some of the, the highest ranking programs in the country, actually. I thought I was probably, you know, crazy. And, um, and I ended up getting uh, multiple interviews and they, I went, I did some traveling across the country and, um, met some really amazing people and asked a lot of cool questions. And, um, I, I ended up, uh, in February, I had, uh, three funded offers from three different universities and I, uh, had to pick <laughs> one and that was, uh, you know, a, a good problem to have, but, um, yeah. one of probably the most traumatic, uh, phone calls were, you know, calling people and saying, ah, I appreciate meeting you, but I'm not going to ever, never mind. but, um, still remember them. But, um, but I ended up going to the University of Illinois. This is a long story, but uh, no, that's great. <laughs> so I went to the University of Illinois, 
um, and with my family. Uh, my well, my wife was all of my family at that point. Whitney, my partner, and and we um, we just got married actually, and we we went to Urbana Champaign, Illinois, um, mm-hmm. and I spent uh, three years there uh, doing research on the evolution of bumblebee color patterns and their the function like their ecological functions, and that was uh, just really incredible to be in such a really neat scientific community. Um, and then when all of that finished up, I, 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 I still wanted to be a teacher um, and uh, started sending out applications. And so that, that kind of as that ended, that, that's where I started applying. And I, I, while still writing my thesis, I was driving back and forth from the, to the St. Louis area to interview for teaching positions. Um, and uh, while out there, it's also where I was introduced to Knowles through a friend of mine who um, had also been a student in the same program before he'd went off to be a teacher and uh, applied to that and ended up getting that fellowship. And so I knew that was going to happen and um, kind of got into um, some uh, interesting relationships with some faculty studying science education stuff. And that actually mm-hmm. ended up turning into something that lasted a few years and a collaborative project that um, was also a really neat experience because the science education research community is not not that <laughs> similar to the science research community. And so lots of different norms and, uh, yeah. and things. And so... Wow. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, it was pretty much a straight, uh, course to be a teacher. <laughs> so straight course with like a, a straight course with like, uh, pretty significant teacher. I don't know. Like so much stuff came up as you were talking, like, um, I'm currently working, uh, I'm actually collaborating with Paul Strode, um, uh, on a project that he always does. He does a pitfall trap project uh with Mm -hmm. the students and um as i've been distance learning with my ap uh, i have them they set up pitfall traps in their yards uh, and i'm having them use iNaturalist uh to identify and collect like what what they're finding um so i was thinking of you as a little kid you know with your id books and like my kids have their phones uh and they're using iNaturalist (laughs) to identify what the insects are and i I did that out there but i can imagine you using iNaturalist if you were a kid today uh you know like trying to identify what the the bugs are that are in your yard um and instead of your pin boards (laughs) right and you know with me with my you know just beginner field guide with like seven bugs in it like why isn't it in here none of them are in here um yeah it's kind of i I mean it's amazing we're using this this app called the seek app um i don't know if you've ever played with it it's connected to iNaturalist um and what it does is like as you it's kind of like gamification of identification. Like, uh, so I'd set the pitfall trap up in my yard and like, I, you know, the insects fall in and it's not just insects. You get other things in there. I had one kid who got a mole. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, I've had some salamanders uh, from kids turning them in. They're just starting to turn in what their photos are and their IDs. But like when you do it, it like you, you, you move the phone around it, like it comes to like, the first thing is, is like it's order level. And then if you like, push the you know you focus in a little bit and you zoom in a little bit it'll go like uh now here's the family uh here's the genus and then like if you get it just right they'll like pick a species that they think it is um but like it might not it is kind of amazing and it's it knows where you are so it knows what's like endemic to your regions um and again these are you know insects that have fallen in a pitfall trap but like it's sort of like you know, I, I, I've done what you talked about, like using the field guides and, you know, using your, uh, like, well, you know, the, 
the the key keying out what things are both i think of doing it with plants because that's what i've done it with more than insects uh but keying out plants and trying to id plants based off of a a field guide and it's like so like it's such a different world of trying to take a good like angle and image of what you're looking at to try to id the things um is amazing but i think that's it's cool that you that came back when you made the realization that you you needed a good do good science uh, you you sound so much more self-aware than i was um, <laughs> because like i had the same idea like i kind of like was interested in science and interested in medicine and interested in biology but i was like sort of an aimless college student like I was good at what I did, but like I was kind of aimless. And then I stumbled into a lab and I was like good at doing stuff at the bench, but it wasn't like through like any realization that like, oh, if I wanted to be a teacher, I should get good at science. It was just like, I went to somebody and said, I think I should learn to be in a lab. Like I should, I, I should do more science to do that. I just thought it was something I should do. Like, I don't know why I thought I should do it. Like, I, I don't know. I've come to the realization that I was a really, really dumb 20 21 year old <laughs> as i talk to uh like young teachers younger teachers today they yes are like so much sharper than i was in the the 90s i you know i wasn't raised on the internet you said that you had dial-up internet like i had dial-up internet when i was in college like right <laughs> so so yeah like uh but uh i love the the idea that you you went back to sort of your roots and that is actually what you got your master's in like you you decided to get your master's based off of your experience as a six-year-old is a is a really is a really neat connection the other thing that jump, jumped out at me is that you were like really tied to going back to the st louis area and really connecting and so i know you're not at the school that you're in now but what was the first job that you went to when you went back to the st louis area uh what kind of school did you go to yeah well you know so it's kind of a an interesting story so i grew up I, my high school is extremely small i grew up on a farm i my are we a rural school very low diversity. Um, I was one of 40 graduating seniors. <laughs> so it's very small. And, mm -hmm. and I kind of had always envisioned going back maybe to a small rural school. Right. And, and, you know, I know that, you know, I knew the challenges that they went through and the, and I knew what, you know, Don Lewis had meant for me. And I, I wanted to go somewhere where, um, where I was needed. Right. And, and so, I, it, that wasn't necessarily like my driving passion. Like I want to be a teacher so that I can go to, to rural schools, but it was kind of something that I always kind of thought about. Um, what kind of changed was my, um, my partner, Whitney she is from just, just South of St. Louis. Like that's where her family is. And so she was really, really passionate about was um, like, just always from when I met her was being close to her family. Uh, you know, she talks mm -hmm. to her mom uh, on the phone every day, at least once. And, and, and just, uh, it caused her stress and trauma to not be around home and in a way that it didn't for me. Um, and so when I was kind of finishing it, well, and then uh, when we were grad school in Illinois, we kind of decided to start our family. And so we had our first child and uh, while I was still a grad student. And so that kind of changed a lot of things and family became really important to all of us. Um, and so we kind of said, you know, we're going to go back to, to kind of that area. And I, I kind of in my head thought I would try you know, I'm going to try to get a job close to her family first because, you know, mm -hmm. you know she, I, I just kind of took a turn. I took her to UIUC and now, <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going to let her have a turn. We're going to go home. Yeah. And so, but anyway, so I applied to, you know, several schools as they started to trickle out on the app boards. And one of them that I uh, got an interview for was this um, magnet school in um, St. Louis. And uh, I got a, 
a call and they asked me if I wanted to come for an interview. So I said, sure. And I was doing lab stuff. It's like, I literally finished up some lab stuff, got in the car, drove to St. Louis, did the interview, um, and you know, and drove home, uh, all kind of in one day is a big, you know, big circle. And, um, but it was really cool. So I, 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 I almost didn't take the interview. I was like, I'm not going to teach in a city school. I don't know anything about cities and I don't. So I go to this, um, school and it's this little building in the, in the, uh, middle of kind of the De Pere neighborhood in, in St. Louis and um, or, or area in St. Louis, I guess. And um, it, it the name on the sign wasn't the name I had been given for the school because it was a new school. It was a charter. It was not a charter school. It was a magnet school, um, which was something St. Louis has been playing with. Uh, St. Louis Public Schools has been playing with for a while, um, but it was only two years old at that point. So they only had two of their four grades. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that has, that's where the district stuck them in an old building they weren't using. And <laughs> so I go to this interview and, uh, the principal was incredibly charismatic. Um, he, you know, as I came in, I saw all these kids and, um, you know, different cultures and different colors and different, um, you know, all kinds of different dress. And I, I mean, it was just overwhelming. And there were international, uh, country like flags hanging from the walls as I walked through, which was just so cool. Like I was just blown away by how different and how diverse and how vibrant everything was. And then, you know, I talked to this principal and he talks to me about how they were building a school for medicine and bioscience. And, you know, next year we're moving to a new building because we're not going to have room in our current location. So we're going to, they're giving us a new building. We'll take a tour of it later. Don't worry about that, but it's amazing. And we got to hire new teachers and, and, and all this stuff. And, and basically, like, sold me that, like, oh, we're going to get on the ground floor of this. This is going to be, this is cool. Um, and I, I had no sooner, I got home, and I was telling Whitney about it, and we were making dinner, and my phone rang, and I said, yeah, we want to offer you the job. And um, I, <laughs> I, you know, I played this so many times in my head. I was like, oh, I need to talk to my partner first. You know, give me, I, I need to call you back. Uh, I'm going to make a decision like this myself. I got off the phone. I kind of. I'd been talking to her about it for like two hours about the interview and I got off the phone and she looked at me. She's like, why did you do that? Why didn't you just tell him you want the job? And so, so I called her back and I said, ah, we talked about it and I'll take the job. And so, um, yeah, um, that actually, you know, so a lot of things, uh, happened. That principal actually left that summer. He didn't end up, <laughs> it was the founding principal. It was his baby, his idea, his, he built it for two years, but he, he ended up leaving that summer and uh, we, get, we got a new principal and we did get a new building and we got a new group of kids and, you know, doubled the size of the staff. And uh, it was a very chaotic um, fall, but not a not a negative one, but definitely a chaotic one. And that was my first year of actual teaching. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I stayed there for two years um, and it was an incredible experience. Um, I, I could go on and on about it. You probably don't want me to if you have any specific questions, but um I will say that one of the lasting things my two years there did is, you know, it, it was, I've never been part of a more diverse community. I've never been part of, um, you know, I learned a lot about people and about communities and about the value of multiple voices and multiple perspectives um, in my time at that school and uh, made some friends with both student, former students and, and staff that, you know, are still alive to this day. And um it was a really important experience for me. Yeah, it sounded like you you had a lot of for an early career teacher, you got to make a lot of 
sort of big picture decisions about what would influence the school um, or at least you were in the presence. I don't know if how much voice you had in the decision making, but there were a lot of decisions about the school that were made while you were there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and, and uh, the answer to the, how big was my role is kind of like, yes. I mean, there were big things about what the school was going to do. You know, I wasn't in on those conversations cause I wasn't even my department head. Right. But then, you know, the flip side of that was stuff like, you know, when I walked into my classroom, there were desks and all these lab storage cabinets and that was all. And, and so in my first year I spent probably, I don't know, thirty, forty thousand dollars to outfit my classroom. Like by the time it, and this, that's kind of a long complicated story, but it did end up being like a, a ridiculous, and I bought glassware and I bought, you know, instruments and I bought, you know, all the things that when you've been teaching in a room for that, that's had a teacher in it for 40 years, you don't do that, right? But we didn't, and and um, so I had to outfit a lab, and that was really developmental for me as a first year teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's funny because I think back to like you know my so I bounced around a lot in my first couple of years teaching, and I remember like being asked my second year teaching. I went to a school, and I was like, you know, one of the youngest people in that building by like a lot like i think there was one other young teacher in my department who was the son of a teacher in the department so like if you ignore him i was the youngest person in the department by like 20 years um you know like that kind of thing like institutionally i was such an outsider going in and i remember them coming and like talking to me like they handed me a box of like like dissecting scissors and I'm like, what are these? And they're like, oh, these are your dissecting scissors. Like, they just gave me things. And I didn't even know what to do with, like, I had no say at all about what a materials were. Um, like, I just, I was so ignorant about, like, what was there and what the process was and what labs I would, like, there was so much you don't know in your first couple of years of teaching. Um, I think that to be empowered to make those decisions is both like really empowering, but also kind of foolish because I don't know that I could do mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm sure you bought stuff and it was like, yeah, I intended to use it on X, Y, and Z, but uh, now it's just a box of glassware. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll tell you. So uh, one funny story. I'll give you one example is so the, the, I was hired in like late in the semester. And so um the previous, like the district had tried to sort of, to help. They wanted to help. And so they like went through the catalog and bought things they thought I would need. Well, among <laughs> them was like, well, we better order a class set of safety goggles. He'll need safety goggles. You should always check the quantity on the item because they bought a class set of boxes of safety <laughs> goggles so i had cabinets and cabinets full of safety glasses like hundreds and hundreds of pair and it i so i like you know so the other teachers though they're like well we didn't ever get any so i was able to farm them out to other people you know but um so they didn't go to waste but it was there was some of that chaos too where i just would unbox things sometimes and you never knew what it was going to be yeah, you'd be like bartering with every school in St. Louis. So what do you got? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got some pH indicator because I could use some pH. Indicator. You got goggles? I got goggles. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, yeah. 
All right. Well, so the other thing that you brought up and you brought it up uh, earlier when you were talking about, you know, coming to the end um, of your Knowles Fellowship. Um, and I've talked to a lot of Knowles people, um, you know, from from people like, you know, uh, Kirsten Milks and uh, Brittany Franskoviak and, you know, just, uh, the, just amazing uh, people who are on the sort of like running things side <laughs> um, to other Knowles fellows or people who've come through the Knowles fellow program. Uh, but you're now coming to the end of this sort of five-year cohort. And I think I, I met you when you were sort of early on in that cohort uh, when we, we met in Baltimore, but now that you're coming to the end of this, uh, how has being a Knowles fellow sort of shaped you as you've moved through, you know, your first teaching experience and now you're into your, your second school here and, and through these five years, how, how has it really impacted your, your teaching career? Yeah, I, you know, I, I really think that there's a strong chance I wouldn't be a teacher today if I hadn't got the fellowship. And I think mm. when you kind of pair that with my story about, you know, wanting to be a child teacher and then going, like, I, you know, almost never wavered from that. Um, it, it was what I wanted to do. And I was so, and you know, I, I just think, I think it says a lot about our profession that, um, you know, a couple years ago, I almost left. I had mm -hmm. no idea what I would have done. And I was pretty much broken in terms of my emotional, you know, I, I was pretty much shattered at that point. Um, but, uh, but there were things about Knowles that, that kind of told me that I could keep going. And I had a very supportive community, both within my cohort of teachers um, and within the staff, you know, I had my staff checking in and saying, you know, well, you know, what can we do? And uh, we have these supports. And, and then also, you know, I would tell stories to people in my cohort and they'd be like, oh yeah, man, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what my life is like. And so, you know, it kind of normalized it to the point that I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. And then also it always kind of gives you agency and sort of acknowledging that like, you know, it's not an, uh, an admission that you're a bad teacher when something goes poorly or you admit that it failed. Like that is the reality of this incredibly challenging job. Um, mm. And so you, you get through it and you get through it by setting goals and identifying things to work on and analyzing the situation. And um, so one of, that kind of leads me, I think, to, to one of the major things that I think is going to be a lasting um, impact of Knowles on my teaching is the, the sort of... Um, I learned a lot about professional inquiry, right? And, and working together with other teachers um, to collect data uh, in ways that are not the same as I, you know, did in my master's program. Um, mm -hmm. And to, you know, data about students and about teaching and to analyze that data, you know, and so many teachers, you know, data means test scores. And in Knowles, I think we like never talked about test scores. Data was always, you know, videos or conversations or notes that you took, it was something a little more alive than that. Um, mm -hmm. But, but that, that kind of lasts to this day, you know, like I, this job I'm in now, which is not my first job. One of the things that really excited me about it was um, uh, at this school, we have late start every Wednesday, we start an hour later, so PLCs can meet. So there's time built in to work with your department and look at student data. Um, and I was able, because of Knowles, to know that that was something that was important and was exciting. And now that I'm in that situation, you know, I, I kind of know what effective collaboration for teachers and what, what it, you know, what that looks like and what it means mm -hmm. to um, perform professional inquiry and to set goals and to use discussion protocols and things that, um, and, and not only, so not only am I able to participate, but I'm also able to identify areas where, you know, we're strong and we should keep doing things or, 
um, where we could be stronger and to ask questions about making some changes or, um, um, yeah, I, I think that that is going to be something that I use for the rest of my career. And, and without Knowles, I don't, I don't, I think I would have been, you know, wide eyed in the headlights, uh, with all of that. Um, it sounds like it, it turned you into like, you probably, uh, for somebody who's relatively new to the career, you have probably a lot more leadership responsibility, I would imagine within your building, thanks to what you've learned from Knowles. Uh, I don't mean, I think maybe getting there. I think I have a lot of goals about leadership. Um, mm -hmm. I've been in my current building for, this will be my fourth year in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, my first, after my first year, the principal left um, and we got a new principal um, and he's been doing lots of cool things, but he's also, you know, he's also new and establishing lots of new things. Um, I think he's really excited about some of the th ideas that my department and I have come up with and, there's going to be a lot of potential to to take um, to sort of take the lead on some things in the next few years, and I'm super excited about that. You know, um, he did. You know, I wanted to write this grant. I wanted to write a grant, and he supported it. He said, ah, "I think that's really cool. I, what do you need from me?" I, I mean, I'm 100% supportive. And um, and then within my department, I definitely feel like um, I, I definitely feel like I'm part of the team that's making decisions, and I I, I hear stories from lots of people that work in other schools and districts that I know who are teachers and they tell, you know, different stories that aren't nearly mm -hmm. as, um, that don't seem to, to, to be nearly as, uh, hopeful about what they're going to be able to accomplish. And I, I definitely think that Knowles has helped me, you know, learn to be a, a functional agent of change, if you will. Yeah. And, and for me, leadership doesn't necessarily mean, you know, being a department leader or that sort of thing, but, but somebody who is just that somebody who helps promote sort of positive growth amongst the faculty, somebody yeah. who has a, uh, you know, adds a positive voice to the idea so that you go to a, a meeting and rather than people who groan when they're like, we're going to work on a protocol to look at such and such, like you can be a positive voice. So like, Oh, protocols can be really effective at that. And maybe the, the grumpy old middle-aged guys who, you know, or look like me um, and have been doing it for 25 years who sometimes roll their eyes. If you're in that room, you can be a positive person who can say, Oh, I can actually help be somebody who works through these things that may be new to some people in the building and and help them through this uncomfortable space as they grow professionally. You you asked me about Knowles, and I, I think that's one of the lasting things. The other thing I think, um, which I think is super relevant right now with um, what's going on in the world, uh, is mm. um, it it the, Knowles has been really cool because as a community, they give a lot of agency to the teachers that are in the program. Like so, it's not just like we know what we're doing, and you sit there as we fill your head with the knowledge, right? <laughs> Instead, yeah. um, the, the community, like as a fellow, you're, you're really kind of a part of the organization. And so when you ask questions about, well, but why does it work that way? Instead of just like, well, because we decided it works that way. It, it, <laughs> instead, it, it, it always sparks a real discussion with the, the highest levels of the, the organization. You know, they're sit down with you and be like, well, that's a good question. We didn't really think about that. This is what we we're trying to do. But I see how that could really be frustrating. You know what? We'll change that next year or we'll bring up changing that next year. And a lot of times those things do change. Um, 
but one thing that like the the I think the teachers in the organization have collectively done over the last few years is is really focus on the ideas of like equity and education and and the importance of identity and and asking questions about your own identity and your students' identity and how those things intersect and um you know we've we've read multiple books while I was a fellow about um, racism and education and um, we've had, you know, I've been able to go to multiple trainings on having conversations about, you know, racist, uh, issues and, and things like that. And, and, um, helping people sort of recognize their privilege and things like that, that becomes, I think, more and more pertinent, uh, every day. Um, and especially, you know, that was augmented by my first teaching job, which was super diverse and, and kind of changed my worldview. Um, and right now, my you know my building is not as diverse. We're about ninety five percent white, even though we're really close to St. Louis, because that's just kind of how Missouri works. Um, mm. But you know, in a lot of ways, that's been really sad. You know, to to lose that diversity that surrounded me. But also, I feel a a, a pretty strong duty to sort of bring my perspectives and my experiences to my job every day. Right, so those kids don't experience and then you know for a lot of my staff they have not experienced the things that I have experienced and so it's kind of like my job to to push them a little bit in in ways about you know things like well but should you really say that or you know you just you know that student who the one student that failed your class uh, uh you know they were the only minority student in the class like have you have you thought about that um just kind of things like that um and I think, you know, were it not for Knowles, I probably would not think about these issues nearly so much. Yeah, I definitely can appreciate the the idea that working with people from different backgrounds broadens your perspective. I, I think that through my work in the communities of teachers that I work with, I've become aware of even hidden privilege that I wouldn't have seen. And I feel like I'm, you know, I sometimes describe myself as sort of woke-ish for, you know, <laughs> mid-40s teacher who teaches in Massachusetts suburbia. But, sure. uh, you know, like the fact is, is I teach in a school that is is very well off relative to, you know, the world. Um, but because I do work, you know, and I talk to teachers from all over the country and who work with different populations, um, when you talk to different teachers who have different experiences and you work in different types of buildings as you have, you you start to shine a lens on just the massive diversity that exists within education and you realize that the community that you teach in front of you is not representative of all education and that's a that's a really powerful thing to bring into your your classroom um, to help both you and the students that you work with yeah for sure so. All right. Well, we've touched upon a few things, and I don't know that we're going to tackle everything that's on fire in the world right now, uh, literally. Uh, but uh, we are, you know, uh, we met in a summer Pogel workshop workshop a few years ago. Actually, before we got on, I looked up, and uh, the summer summer Pogel workshops are virtual this year. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in here and. And we've been uh, we've been to NABT conferences, and as I said, we're not sure if the NABT conference next November will be live or if it will be virtual or it'll be some sort of hybrid in there. But I, I'm curious, you know, both, you know, a little bit about how the the workspace uh, works uh, um, 
the workshops have have shaped your teaching over the past years. But also, I'm also curious about how you're where you are sort of in your PD you know headspace as you move into the this this upcoming summer and and maybe it's you know just family and you want to take downtime after being on zoom for you know the last couple of months and you just want to focus on family and that's that's totally cool but i'm 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 a little bit curious as to where your headspace is in terms of goals and pd or, you know moving forward yeah um so I, I right this goes back to i think the fellowship you know like you know i met yeah. you at that pogle thing and that Knowles was was sort of the only way I was able to go um, to mm-hmm. that Pogel conference, and and actually um, through the funds available to me as a fellow, I've gone to you know like you said multiple NABTs. I, I've um, I've gone to NSTA a couple times. Uh, I've gone to several other workshops, and um, I totally recognize and have for a long time, right? That that's very unusual in the educational mm-hmm. world to get to do that uh, to have support to do that. Um, and so I've, I've never really taken that for granted. And I think it's made a huge difference, right? I think, you know, where I am in my teaching career, um, you know, for all the faults that I have, which are very many, right. I I think that those conferences have sort of, uh, like sort of pre-aged me in terms of like, I've been able to learn a lot from other people and their experiences without having to make all the same mistakes myself. Um, and you know so there's lots of resources lots of pedagogies lots of practices um that i've pulled out of those things community is fantastic you know um you know i met you at a conference and here we are you know what is this four or five years later um you know having a conversation and i've seen you multiple times and um there's a lot i I definitely look forward every year when i go back to the conference to seeing people that i really only see at nabt for example and some of my the teachers I admire most and sort of you know reach out to when I am struggling are people that I met at conferences and so um, it's made a huge difference in, in in those ways. The one correction I'd say I wouldn't say it prematurely aged you, but it uh, ex- accelerated your it accelerated your maturation is the way, the phrasing I would use. Right. Yes, it has yeah. given me a mitochondrial disorder, and I am aging very quickly. Okay. Yeah. And, uh-huh. Um, no, cause in a lot of ways, I always think of, uh, you know, my wife always, always jokes that we like, we started running a few years ago, uh, which now is like a decade ago. And I was like, we we, we decided that we were Benjamin buttoning. We were just <laughs> going to start getting, we were just going to start getting younger. Um, and for a lot of ways, I think it's like a hundred percent true, uh, you know, <laughs> as I run like, you know, 2000 miles a year and, uh, people are like, uh, you don't look your age anymore, but uh, I will, the- I will agree. I was shocked when I found out how old you actually are. I don't <laughs> think you look uh, like somebody who's been teaching for 25 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've only been 24. So 24 oh, years. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. As I sit in my, I sit in my 20 year chair that I got awarded <laughs> this past year for being 20 years in my current district. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sit here, but yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I was, I was thinking like, so you know, as we move into this space, like you've been to a ton for somebody who has only been in the classroom for a handful of years. Um, and as we've gone through this, do you think that we're going to have maybe a type of PD space that does involve us getting on planes and flying over the country and, and doing all that? And are we going to be able to keep that community kind of idea? I'm, I'm curious as to what you think, you know, 
how is PD going to work as we go forward? I, you talked about goals and how you're able to set goals. And I think I'm somebody who my PD that I do, while it's probably a lot more than a lot of, a lot of other people, is always very goals oriented. Like I line up what I want to learn about, what I want to do. I hear about some cool things. And then I go and do the types of things that I do. But there's always this push and pull of travel and family and cost and that sort of thing. Um, but do you think that this, what we've went through the last few months might shape the the PD space and how we proceed in professional development as we go forward. Yeah, you know, I I think that if we have to do virtual conferences and virtual workshops um, for an extended period, that the part of what I just described that probably will suffer the most is the community part. And I, I just I I think it's fundamentally different. You know, if you're I mean, the example I have that, that kind of informs what I'm saying is, um, you know, for Knowles, our spring meeting this year was virtual, and now our summer meeting is going to be virtual. But we already had the spring meeting, so I went to a virtual spring meeting with, um, you know, 34 other teachers that I've known now for five years and I've seen three times a year, and we work online all the time. Like, I know these people. I love these people. One of our, you know, favorite things each year is to get to see each other and hang out and catch up and talk. Um, but it was hard. I mean, the, the virtual meeting, we, we orchestrated it through Zoom. Uh, the, the teacher developer staff did an excellent job of sort of logistically making that seem really easy and seamless. Um, but, but, but the social time of, you know, not having, okay, here's what we're do- you need to do and here's how long or have this conversation. The social time, I think, is really what suffered. The time of just, just chatting. Because when, when you're in a bar in Baltimore... <laughs> And you're already in Baltimore and the day's work is done. You just go talk to the people around you. Like that's easy to do when you're at home and it's seven o'clock and the work is done and it's bedtime for the kids. Like you can't, you can't sit on in your recliner with your laptop and a beer while your, your partner puts four kids to sleep. Like that's, that does not work. And yeah, I think that that was sort of borne out by lots of what I saw. There was lots of nap times and lots of, not just kids though, but other things, you know, we need to walk the dog or we've got a, you know, family thing or we've got, um, I, I just, I think that if you are at a conference or workshop with people, you know, and you miss them, um, you probably get some good out of it, at least for the next conference or maybe the next two conferences. But I don't think, I don't think people new to the conference scene are going to come away with the feelings of community that, that historically they would have had. And I think in the long term, if we had to do this for like three or four years, um, uh, even existing relationships would maybe start to suffer. And um, so that's, I think, the biggest change. And I don't think anybody really, you know, surely this is temporary to some degree, whatever that means. Um, Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, and I worked in, I worked in the online space for, for many years as a, an online facilitator uh, with a group that is now defunct, but, um, with online mentoring and, and that sort of thing. And one of the, the things that we worked with is that there's a paradigm that you have to build sort of community and social relationships first, then you have, can exchange ideas and then ultimately you can build towards collaborating, Mm -hmm. um, in that space. And I think that one of the things that happens when you go to, you know, an NABT conference and, you know, I remember, you know, for, for you and I, and you were with a friend, uh, when we were out in San Diego two years ago, yeah, I remember having breakfast with you 
um, and we sat down at the little Starbucks off the uh, lobby, and it was just an impromptu kind of thing. Yeah. You know, where, you know, it was early in the morning and, you know, uh, you were you guys were getting ready to go out and do something like San Diego Zoo or something like that. And I was getting ready to go to workshops and it's a half hour before the workshop said and we didn't plan it. We just ran into each other and we we caught up and we chatted for a few minutes and and, and had breakfast. And, and that was it. Like that was what we did during that space. That type of thing doesn't happen in these kind of communities. Um unless there's some really deliberate, like there's gotta be some really deliberate planning of the social time of a conference. And I, that's going to be challenging. I think that's going to be a challenge for the organizers. Um, and, and it almost means like you have to somehow blend the, like almost like a PLC type aspect of digital meetings where you have to have like, not like three days where everything is compressed, but more like, a couple of goals where a small group of people who want to work on something over some time meet a several times and sort of can build that community sense up in order to have it. And I think one of the things about conferences is it's this sort of drop in where you have an existing community and you drop in and you do it. And yeah, you can bring some new people along, but it, it relies on community that already exists. And I think what you said about bringing new people along is going to be extraordinarily challenging unless we can come up with some way to adjust that social component. Yeah. So, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In the upcoming years, what are you looking forward to in your classroom? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, see, the problem is you're asking me, about my plans for a space that I can no longer see, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what COVID's going to do and I don't to next year. Right. And I don't, I don't, nobody does. So it's, um, it's kind of confusing right now, whether I should be spending my time planning for a normal classroom or for a virtual classroom or, you know, for both. And they, the wise answer might be for both, but I don't know how to do that. And so, um, See, I'm just going to answer the way I would have answered in January. Uh, and and what I would have said then is, um, so my two major courses that, that, that I, uh, are, that are kind of under my direct auspices at my current school is my anatomy and physiology course and my ecology course. Because I'm the only teacher mm -hmm. that teaches those. There's no state test. Um, I can teach what I, I can change the curriculum in ways that I want to change it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Anatomy and physiology is kind of where I focused with most of my energy uh, for the last uh, three years. And you just, because you have to pick something, like you can't, you know, I've, I've worked yep. on everything, but that's kind of been the baby. And so I've, you know, th changed a lot and wrote new curriculum frameworks and, and I've been working on that. And I think that it's in a pretty good place. Um, and so next year I plan to sort of tilt the balance the other way and, and spend a lot of time uh, with ecology. And that's a very, I mean, I like all these subjects, like, uh, but ecology, <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about because um, I've thought a lot about, uh, about nature and about what excites me about going outside and, and seeing things that are alive. And um, especially with some of the stuff we've done with distance learning, you know, kids being at home and kind of trapped in their backyards and being asked to do <laughs> science. Um, so, so one of the things I'm looking the most forward to is, is working more nature into my ecology course and, and kind of thinking about the question is like, what, what does every citizen need to know or feel um, about nature? And so I've kind of been uh, for the last few 
weeks and months been at the kind of the big idea levels of that. And so um, I've reread some Aldo Leopold stuff, uh, you know, San County Almanac and land ethics stuff about, you know, how people should think about land and, and what the, how they should define what's right and wrong to do with our natural resources um, and how I can incorporate some of his stories and ideas and resources into the class. Um, uh, I've reread, I started rereading um, Last Child in the Woods, which I read as an undergrad a long time ago, which is a book about um, about how a lot of America's societal and maybe maybe health problems have to, might have to do with um, how little time we spend in nature, which is kind mm-hmm. of our evolutionary, you know, context. Um, and so kind of trying to kind of lean on those as pillars of the class and expose a lot of the students to regular out, out, you know, outdoor experiences and get them to reflect and think and wonder and ask questions and, um, maybe doing some like voluntary hiking trips during the school year to get kids, um, who have never been to a national park in their lives, uh, to just go to a state park and take a walk and see some stuff they've never seen before. And so that's what I'm, I think really excited about is over the next three or four years, I'd like to see ecology, um, transform a lot, um, and become a very, um, uh, sort of nature oriented, uh, course, which of course with all the science and the nutrient cycling and all that stuff, cause that's, I think what <laughs> makes it cool. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's what's occupying most of my, most of my summer work right now. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, one of the projects I've been doing with my kids has been a whole bunch of citizen science projects sort of in the idea of what you're talking about, which I think ties in. And so there's there's all sorts of cool citizen science projects out there um, that my students have been sort of engaging with. Um, I don't know if you've ever checked out Project NOAA. Um, uh, I've heard of it. Can you remind me what it is? So Project NOAA is like a it's like a sort of a online warehouse for all these kind of citizen science projects. Some of them are like down to the elementary level um, and that sort of thing. And then um, the other thing is the Zooniverse, uh, which is another website that has a lot of different um, citizen science type projects in there. Um, And then there's, you know, there's just all kinds of different stuff. So like right now, my, uh, in our honors bio kids, we have, um, the, them doing like one group is doing a Zooniverse project where they're looking at, um, uh, uh, stomata differences in some fossils. That's one that doesn't require them to actually go outside, but we have another group that's looking at, um, they're doing like mushroom mapping and I have another group that's doing something on urban birds. And then we have a group that's doing bumblebee watch. And then there's a, the NASA globe um, uh, has a couple of different things. One's like on observing trees and one's on mosquito habitats. Um, so there's a few different like citizen science type things. And uh, I, I don't think we would be doing as many of these right now if <laughs> it wasn't for the fact that like, we're not seeing them face to face, but we have to sort of give them, things to work on uh but yeah i mean we're sort of wrapping the year up with you know we we tend to start with ecology and then we try to wrap up with ecology ecology with an evolution spin at the end um that's sort of how our year arcs in our honors bio curriculum um and then my ap kids were doing a pitfall trap uh thing which again is sort of rift off of uh paul strode's pitfall trap thing that he does on campus where my kids are documenting sort of biodiversity um 
in their backyards. Um, so I'm seeing how that works as a possibility. So, uh, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of cool things you can do, whether you're, you know, in the classroom space or maybe even they're in their homes uh, that would allow them to do some of those things. Yeah, I, I think I really think that the idea or not, not the idea that the technologies, you know, what we're seeing with, with smartphones and every kid's pocket and everything, you know, and, and everything being web based and, um, you know, these things like, you know, Bumblebee watch and, and these, like, you know, used to, if you wanted, if you were like a naturalist, right. And you really got excited about, uh, clouds or bees or rocks, you mm-hmm. know, you had a field guide and, and, and maybe a net or a camera and it was, it was always just a hobby, right? I mean, it really couldn't be more than a hobby, but, but now there's this other way you can interact with nature that I think is really interesting. And that's, you know, whereas, you know, 25 years ago, you would have been, you know, an amateur entomologist catching bees, right? Mm-hmm. Now you, you can actually, you know, take pictures of bees and submit them online at, to communities that like exist to track and catalog and monitor mm-hmm. species declines and distribution. Like you're not just, I mean, yes, you, you get to go outside and experience nature and enjoy the thing you enjoy, but while also doing real science. And I, that's just so different. And, and I think has the potential to be a really powerful draw to nature for a whole new group uh, generation uh, you know, of Americans that um, yeah. just, you know, couldn't be done before. And, and just, <laughs> and every day it seems like there's a new one of these, right? Like, uh, you you know, tomorrow there's going to be one where you can, you know, look for earwigs and, and I, you know, there's no earwig project before, but tomorrow. And, and so it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see, you know, five years from now, what that looks like. Yeah. And then as the biotech stuff gets better and better, we're going to be able to, you know, grind them up and extract their DNA and be able to, um, <laughs> right, right. You stick I, the bumblebee's head in this, uh, dongle and yeah. then your phone, <laughs> it's going to have a sequencer attached. To right. It. And it will, <laughs> you, the satellite dish plugs into the top of the phone and it will send it all in. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. Well, that, I, that's funny, but you know, there are already, uh, little yeah. phone add-ons for things like water quality and weather data. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think some form of biological sensor has got to be, someone's at least trying to build one right now, right? I, I'm sure. The number's not zero. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's there's prototypes out there. Uh, whether we can afford them for our classes is maybe a little ways away, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're coming. All right. Well, uh, before we get to questions for me and picks of the episode, uh, you have four kids, so you don't get to do anything when you're not teaching other than uh, there. But uh, when you're not teaching, what do you like to do? I like to take care of four kids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that takes a, yeah, a huge amount of time. Um, I will say one of my mistakes early in my career was, I mean, and I think contributed to me almost leaving the profession was the unhealthy level to which I worked. Um, and I mean, it didn't really feel like working. I, I was having fun. Right. But, but it was work and it was more of the same thing I did all day. And, um, I think it kind of burned me out a little bit and that was definitely part of it. And, and in recent years, the last two years, really, I've gotten a lot better at drawing a line between like, okay, now it's time to not think about teaching and to think mm-hmm. about my family and things that I want to do, which basically I haven't done in years, right? And so 
Um, so it's also kind of easier that now, you know, my oldest Jackson is six and Quentin is four. Um, and so they're old enough to kind of, you know, we can, I so recently started collecting bugs again, which is something that me and my grad school friends did, you know, just for fun while I was in grad school. And I've done at different times with my students, but I have, it's kind of like a personal hobby that I haven't mm-hmm. done in a long time. And so I've been doing that and showing Jack and Quentin how to, how to catch bugs and identify them and pin them. And they've been having a blast and I've been having a blast and, um, I've also been, you know, recently picked up a guide or two about mosses and, um, uh, I'm working on a prairie restoration, uh, in my kind of front part of where, where, where our house sits and, um, got a, got a pretty decent pair of binoculars to start learning some birds. And, um, so I've been spending a lot of time just kind of taking in the world the last couple of years and appreciating it and developing some very shallow hobbies around that. Um, I also enjoy a little bit of Netflix when I, when I actually get to, to do that, which is maybe, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it averages out to cause it's laughably small, but, um, uh, I've discovered a few shows I like, uh, I've been watching the not so new, uh, Star Trek discovery for the first time, uh, in the last oh. few weeks. And that's interesting to me. Um, expanse is a great science fiction show that I, I started and, uh, I, I, so I like science fiction. It's been a long time since I've partaken, but uh, that, that's what I do when I'm not uh, teaching or fathering. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I am very, very much somebody who does is is not good at life work balance in general. I think I find that my you know. Um, if anything, like the sort of silver lining of the the COVID nineteen piece has actually been that like I I, I don't commute anywhere, um I don't I don't travel anywhere, yeah. so like I've been home and everybody's home, and so we've been there, and I like my family, so uh, we've spent a little bit more time together and doing a few more things, and like we've actually instituted a uh, my and my kids are much older, you know my my oldest uh, just turned 17 and my, my youngest is about to turn 13. And so, you know, we have Saturday night movie night um, and we've been like doing that. And so we've been doing, you know, doing things like that, but my kids are also ones who will go hiking in the woods and, and, and do sorts of things like that. And, um, but yeah, it's been, it's that's that downtime has been interesting to have that. I, I think that the slowing down of things that has happened has been, um, has been good for me to re reconnect to some of those hobbies as well. Um, because I think I, I don't do that particularly well myself. Yeah. You know, I think that's the silver lining for me for, for yeah. the whole COVID-19 thing, which don't get me wrong. I absolutely wish this had not happened to any, anyone. It's like, it's yeah. not worth it. Right. But I think the silver lining for me or one positive that came out of it is um, I actually, so we had our, our, our newest child, his, uh, his name is Huxley. He was born on March 10th. And so, you know, we went to the hospital, we had the baby that was before things were really kind of ramping up and places were closing. And so there were no real restrictions on us at the hospital. We, I got to be in the room just like, you know, the other births and we came home and I took a week of paternity leave. And right about the time I was going to go back to work, everything closed. Um, and my wife also in her job at a community college, she's, um, she has summers off. And so, um, and she of course had her maternity leave. So basically what I'm getting at is, you know, starting March 10th and what's going to be end up in, you know, running all the way into the end of August, 
um, my entire family has got to be at home uh, together, Mm -hmm. which we we mostly enjoy each other a lot. And so, um, especially at the beginning when he was very, you know, just born, I mean, that, it, it, you know, it's just one of those things like almost nobody gets to have that experience in the world today. But I, you know, I will have, and my wife will have got to spend, you know, yes, there was home teaching and stuff, but, but we've been together most of every day for, you know, almost six months by the time this is over. And, and that's, you know, I think time that I will appreciate for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, not only do I love the name Huxley as, Darwin's bulldog is one of That's my right. favorites of all time. Uh, but uh, he also has my birthday. So uh, that is my birthday. So <laughs> and I know that March 10th is great grandmother's birthday. So well, good, good, uh, good timing on that. Uh, so I, this is, yeah. this is my favorite, favorite of your children. You don't have to have a favorite <laughs> of your children, but I have a favorite of your children, uh, which is Huxley. Uh, but yeah, cause I, I canceled, I said this on a previous episode. I, I canceled, after two months of working, you know, January, all of January, all of February, putting together our job shadowing project where we send all of our AV bio students out to different job shadows. I had it pretty much all nailed down by the first week of March. We had sent one group out in the first week of March. I think it was on March 6th. We sent out a group out to Boston University to a lab uh, there. And then on March 9th, I canceled every one of our remaining trips that was planned um and by that friday we were closed and we haven't opened up again but so like it was we we canceled everything a couple it was the day before my birthday i sent all the emails out to all of my job shadows after months of planning it i was like yeah these are all gonna get canceled by next week i could just see it you know things were starting to like coming the data was just the data was not good um and I went to my partner who I teach with AP and I was like, we got to cancel these. And he's like, really? And he was like, he understood he was disappointed. And I was like there. And so I sent all my emails out. He sent all his emails out. And two days later I went to him and I was like, look how smart we are. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, imagine trying to do all the, like all of the chaos we were dealing with at the end of that week and canceling this thing. Like I would have immediately was- started t- joking with people by saying that our that my model had predicted yeah. that this would happen, and therefore I had canceled them. We just start talking about my sophisticated model that I'd come yeah. up with. Well, people have been telling me like that's why I get emails from people. They're like, because because I was like shutting everything down a couple of days before everything kind of went to hell. And people were coming to me and they were asking me questions. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, everything's going to be closed. I'm like, what do you mean everything's going to be closed? I'm like, everything's going to be closed. Yeah. People like my, my sister was texting me. She's like, I'm supposed to go to a conference at it's like it was like the end of March. I was like, there ain't going to be no conference at the end of March. Right. And she's no. like, what do you mean? And I was like, because she was texting me around my birthday time. I was like, trust me, there will be no conferences at the end of March. And she's like, really? And I was like, really? And then it was like. Five days later, she texted me, there ain't no conference. Um, right. <laughs> I was like, you know, right. but, you know, it's, I think if you pay attention to epidemiology I, I, and you were listening to epidemi- if you were listening to epidemiologists, the second, the beginning of that week, you know, March 9th to March 10th, they were all saying nothing was going to happen in the next couple of months. Like there, right. everything was going to get canceled. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty smart. <laughs> well, I think I think the number of people who went from that's eh, probably going to be fine to oh this is real was the, you know the first announcements that like major sports leagues were like and yeah. we're not playing and then then it just became real all of a sudden yeah. uh, for a lot of people yeah because that's all money and if you're going to give up your money it's got to yeah. be bad yeah yeah it was that it was that day it was the Wednesday it was March 11th 
It was the Wednesday, March 11th, where it was like there was two hours where like there was a presidential press conference, like the NBA shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Like there was like it was it was like a, there was a two hour window where like everything shut down in like a two hour window. Um, uh, yeah, that was, that was the day that it was all happened. So I, I know cause it was my birthday week. Um, uh, so, right. <laughs> and you were, you were celebrating the birth of a child and, you know, I was on the tail end of celebrating my like meaningless 46th birthday, but, um, uh, <laughs> but we were, we were, we'll never forget that week because no. I know it was, it was definitely a monumental week. All right. Before we get to picks of the episode, do you have any questions for me? I was just kind of wondering, you know, I you asked me what I'm looking forward to in the next few years, and I know, you know, lots of people like to change at least kind of like one thing they're looking forward to doing differently. And so I was just wondering, what, like, what's your project? Like next year, what's the kind of biggest thing that you were thinking about working into classes or changing or starting for the first time? Uh, I'd be very curious to know. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned earlier, um, there's a lot of uncertainty going into next year. Um, and so uh, I am I am a little hesitant to uh, like launch some big, giant, brand new initiative <laughs> as we roll in. And um, there are certainly things that I'm intrigued by. Um, there's a couple of things that kind of go along with this is that I also work in curriculum teams, um, and we are very heavily aligned as a group. So uh, a couple of things that are very noteworthy to me are one is I work in a team of five other honors biology teachers uh, to plan a curriculum. Um, and so you talk about sort of the uncertainty and what are we going to do? Uh, the five of us are going to have to come up with a plan. Um, it's just been great this year because it's been really great collaboration to come up with stuff, especially as we've been absolutely distance teaching and spreading the workload and that sort of thing Um, and we are a really good group this is our first year that we've worked together and i've been really psyched with what we've generated but um we have to come to grips with sort of reflecting on what we learned from this year after year one of working together and also the uncertainty of how next year may start very differently and so uh, i'm not really building any plans for that i'm going to deal with i'm going to deal with honors in a couple of months (laughs) when we're we're ready to to deal with that but um One of the things we've been working on in AP Biology is two things, uh, one of which relates to my pick, which I'm going to put a pin in for a minute. But uh, we have been moving to a storylining mode in AP Biology where we do not play the the curriculum of AP Biology has eight sort of suggested units, um, and we do not follow them at all. Uh, okay. We tell big, giant storylines, very much in the the spirit of what Jason Crean does uh, with his NGSS storylines. Yeah, sure. Um, we we are doing that, but there are things that we like and what we relate to um, in terms of uh, uh, of those type of storylines, but ones that allow us to do some interesting things and relate to uh, collaborations that we have with like local universities and some other things like that. So this past so two years ago, we blew our curriculum up and we did a what I describe as a very mediocre storylining in AP Biology. Um, like I felt like we just stumbled through it. We didn't know what we were doing. It was, it was bad. Uh, but the kids did fine. The kids and the feedback from the kids was fine, but I thought we were, did a fairly poor job. And so we built a whole bunch of structures into the curriculum. We actually beefed up our lab component. We did a better job connecting our labs to our stories. We created better arcs to our stories, like hooks to start things and then resources that supported them. Uh, we, we took away a couple stories. We added a couple of new ones. And last year, you know, pandemic aside the the curriculum was awesome you know right up to the right. six of the seven units that we had planned out i thought were really really good you know really uh really coherent stories um 
brought together really nuanced science, gave students a lot of choice, lots of opportunities to make connections um, and that sort of thing. But there's definitely some resources that I think some of our students who are atypical AP biology students in our, our school um, there's more supports that we can build for them. So along those lines, we have decided that we're we're going to continue with our flipped model that we've been using. And rather than relying on videos from other sources, we are going to build all of the videos that support our curriculum, um, both myself and my colleague. And so we each have a list of 25 to 26 videos we're going to build this summer that's going to support our curriculum. And then some formative check-ins that go along with those videos that we'll use either as uh, uh, either Google form check-ins or we might use Edpuzzle or we haven't really decided how we're going to do them, but we're going to write formatives that go along with each of those videos that we, we do um, to help students who may not have the content background taking the AP biology course, um, a little bit more of that content foundation so that they really can build their uh, confidence that they're pulling the key content pieces out of those as they go. Um, and my thought about that is that that should be pretty evergreen yeah. Um, because regardless of whether we're in person or we're doing Zoom classes or we're some sort of hybrid model where we're some days in school and some days not, what we're going to build is something that is part of our overarching goals that we're building towards. Um, and that while I'm spending July building all of those, those videos will uh, have a, a shelf life that is well beyond the the length of the pandemic. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, I mean, say, yeah, like what luck, right? That, that that was the major work thing, because whether you're flipping them or they're true mm -hmm. at home learning, that's not going to be wasted effort. I think that that worked out. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we have other things that we wanted to work on, too. But through our conversations, we're like, yeah, no, this is the obvious thing that we need to do next. Like. Yeah. We, we have stuff that we that fills that gap, but we could like like let's do this because regardless of what we move into, let's make sure our time is evergreen. Um, and while there's a few other partnerships that I was working on and some other curriculum modules, I can't guarantee that some of the lab stuff I wanted to pull off, if we're in a virtual space, there'll be a lot of effort for something I can't guarantee would happen. Right. You know. So we had originally planned, I think, to roll that over the next two years on that, but we decided we're just going to make that our front burner and we're just going to do that all. And that's going to be our major push for next year. Yeah. Well, I can, you know, personally, I can plug Ed, Ed Puzzle. I like it. Um, I'm sure you've played with it. So you, there's yeah. nothing new I'm going to tell you, but um, I've had an account for, I don't know, uh, since my first school. Uh, <laughs> so like five years now, and I don't always use it and I don't use it for all my classes, but um I really, really like that you, you can just, you can see uh, who watched it. I, I like that you can embed the check-ins that but kind of have the dual, uh, uh, maybe the triple effect of like showing kids how they're doing and giving them like positive reinforcement, right? Uh, yeah. But also pointing them to the things that are important that they should be paying attention to so that they know what you think is important. <laughs> Um, and then also just kind of, you know, for you to see how they're doing, because that's, that's, you know, useful too. The advantage of the Google forms for me is I also like to give options. So like what I like to do for homework oh, yeah. is I like to give them a choice of either read this background or watch this video. Um, because the fact is, is that, uh, some students will watch a video and they don't get the key ideas. And if you have a text and you're like, yeah, these were the learning objectives and you couldn't answer them, you should go to this text. In there. So even if they think that video is the better way for them to learn, 
for some reasons that they're not always great at doing that. And similarly, like maybe they go through and they, they do the reading and they miss something. Well, then if they have a second source that gives them a different opportunity, because the evidence is pretty strong that if you just do the same, the same mode of learning every time, you're not going to necessarily get additional benefit on there. But if you give them two different avenues at a set of content, um, that's something that I've been trying to build out capacity over the last few years. And, and that's been really nice. Yeah. I also not, not with, uh, videos, but with some assessment stuff, I've, I've let kids kind of, uh, this year for the first time, like, well, how would you like to show me that, you know, how neurons fire? Mm-hmm. Would you want you want to tell me about it? You want to put some stuff in order? And, uh, that's something I hadn't done previously, but I was also kind of enamored by that. And I think that's really cool. I think, I think, I think that's cool. The choice is important and, uh, I'm yeah. just now coming to that, but, um, <laughs> That's something I'll be working on as well in the next few years. All right. Well, we have gotten to the time for picks of the episode. John, what is your pick? So my pick is that this uh, past week I was around for the birth of a new collaborative community uh, and saw um, somebody created a Facebook group and posted about it on the, I think, the NGSS biology teachers group. Um called the Coalition of Anti-Racist Biology Teachers um, as a space for teachers to kind of focus on building lessons and pedagogies and discussions around um, sort of actively combating uh, racism. And, and I think you know, that's something that in Knowles we've, we've kind of, you know, we talk about a lot and we've worked with a lot. Um, I thought it sounded really uh, hopeful and positive, and uh, as of tonight, which is just a few days later, there have been there are over 925 people in it, so it seems to be growing quite quickly. Uh, and already, a lot of the things that I'm seeing are are really cool. And so, uh, my hope is right that this becomes a space that's uh, as active and maybe as helpful for specific things um, as the the NGSS or the AP Bio uh, groups. Right? I'd love to see this kind of keep going for the next, you know. Maybe I guess until it's not needed anymore, um, <laughs> and uh, and for it to be a, a really useful and collaborative space, and so I'm pretty excited about that and and the things I've seen. So that's my pick of the week. What about yours? Yeah, I, yeah. So um, yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up this 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 group because I was thinking quite a bit of um, about, about this. And I'd seen the group come up this, this week. Um, so, uh, I have, uh, picked another thing that I, uh, another resource that I've been working on, which I think actually dovetails both to my, my goals, um, and what I've been working towards and a little bit about the, the concept of equity that you've been talking about, uh, in many points throughout our discussion. And, and that's the, the, the book that came out uh, this past March by Sarah Zerwin, Pointless, An English Teacher's Guide to More Meaningful Grading. And uh, Sarah is married to Paul Strode. Uh, so a lot of people who in the biology community know Paul Strode, and I've had Paul on a few different times. Yeah, sure. and, um, and Paul has been very vocal about uh you know, his, uh, you know, pointless grading system. And, and I have adopted many of his uh, strategies and ideas into my teaching, particularly in AP biology. Um, It's funny when you read, you know, his wife's book, and as you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is where he got all of his ideas. And he has said that many times over the years, that it's been it's been great for me as somebody who's dabbled into the idea of sort of the standards based grading, or the, uh, I feel like it's standards based grading, grading is even more boxes it in a little bit but it's just more, almost more like the 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 throwing out grades idea of 
you know, we don't need to rank and sort our students, um, that we can find ways for them to have clear objectives and then have meaningful conversations about how far along they are on meeting those objectives and have the growth mindset towards learning um, and that they don't feel like the goal of doing assignments is so that they can be ranked and sorted and and be given a mark, but that the work that they're doing is helping them develop as learners and that they can revise things and improve things and grow um, as they're learning and developing. And so uh, I have, I think, one chapter left to go. I've been reading it. It's it's not a long book, but it's it's meaty. Like I read it and then I have to sort of <laughs> mull over. I've gone back and like I've reread chapters. Like I'm not done, but I've gone back and like reread whole sections of it because it's such a it's so meaty and it's made me think and I've made notes and I like I read a chapter and then I went back and I reread the chapter and then added all these like thoughts and notes and questions and things like that. So um, I think it's a really interesting book. Um, if you have, if you're in the headspace to start thinking about how uh, grades do not always serve your students and what alternatives are there to grading, uh, it is a, it's a really thought-provoking book, um, and uh, I feel like I've grown a lot as I've been working my way through it. That's really cool. Really so, cool. And there's a lot of anti-racism and uh, components to it and equity ideas along with it, uh, especially when you think of how students have been ranked and sorted. And Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, bound up in grades are all kinds of... Um, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of one of the things that makes it meaty, right? I, I think almost any time I read something that's really um, thought provoking about grading, it does, it takes a lot of energy because any change that they talk about, you just unconsciously start cascading through your courses. Right. And so yeah. it, it's just, it's very heavy to start imagining, well, what if I did do that? And it just takes a lot of mental energy and it's questioning mm-hmm. grades is important work that doesn't get done very often. Right. Uh, we don't really talk about why they work the way they work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I am somebody, because I work in a team, um, I don't know that I always give enough credit to my colleagues for being willing to come along in the space to think about changing what we mm-hmm. do. Um, I think that it's really easy to be like, oh, well, I could do this in my sandbox where I grade this and I'm the only teacher of this, but I could never bring this to my team of all of these teachers who do that. And the fact is, is that's just not giving enough credit to your colleagues to have those deep, meaningful conversations. And some of them will be hard conversations and some of it will be involved with pushback. But um, I will say that as I've floated the ideas to my colleagues who I collaborate with, uh, they were not negative about the concept of it. And I said, you know, this is not something we're going to do for next year. Like, we don't know what we're doing next year to begin with, but like, do want to engage in this conversation? And uh, they were up for the conversation. So I'm, I'm excited about the conversations that, that this book is going to hopefully lead to uh, both within my curriculum groups and maybe beyond that. I've talked to, I actually talked to the head of our English department about this book as well uh, via email and uh, some other colleagues in the building. So um I'm trying to get it in the hands of of people I work with and and people I work adjacent to 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 have some deeper like community level conversations with it as well. You know, one of the things I I really think could and 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 kind of already is coming out of all this virtual learning and you know hold harmless policies and well how do tests work and is lots of people really are kind of questioning like well could we use that for a grade well what's what is the grade supposed to mean and I think a lot of this may have the the potential to sort of jumpstart a lot of 
progress and, and grade reform. And, you know, uh, that's not to say it's all going to get fixed, but, you know, I, I think a lot of conversations are happening that otherwise wouldn't have had the space to happen. And so that's kind of, kind of another positive, I think. Wow. All right. Well, John, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on and, and uh, taking part of your summer and coming on late. I think it's maybe my latest recording. Um, <laughs> yeah. <ever. right>. Time <laughs> zones and children. I, this is, you wanted silence. This is what we've got. It's, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's been great. And as I said, I am like, since like, that's the other downside, like as a night owl, like I am a, t- like, you know, you've seen me at conferences. Like I am somebody who is like, you know, I get up, run early, go to the conference, go out, <laughs> have beers. Like I am somebody who like, but I'm sleeping like seven and a half hours a night. Like I normally don't get seven and a half hours of sleep, right, but I can go to right. bed at one in the morning and get seven hour, seven and a half hours sleep. Right. It'd be so a rough adjustment to... in the fall. You're going to have to go yeah, back to I've, I've, I've already been thinking about that. Like, ugh, cause I normally get up at like six, but you know, so then I have to go to bed at like 10, 10 30 if I want to get a decent night's sleep during the regular school year. But yeah. I'm like already late night mode here. Uh, like nine, like 11 o'clock. Yeah. Start a movie. Like no big deal. Like, <laughs> so, but I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on late with me. Let me give my uh, show credits here. Um, if you please subscribe to life of the school on your podcast player of choice. I love seeing those numbers. Uh, this is officially Mark's four years of podcasts. You are number 96 two a month for four years. I have done 96 episodes two a month my first one was four years ago late june so this is marks my fourth anniversary that's um, impressive yeah so we got that i yeah it's amazing that we've gotten through us so this summer i'll hit episode 100 um which i kind of have to put some fanfare together but please subscribe uh, i am already over fifty thousand listens uh, i love all the listens i love those numbers uh so please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and you can get the back catalog uh, through any pay uh, podcast player that you listen to uh, you can support the work I do by going to patreon.com slash lots um, I post up my episodes a few days early for uh, my patreons I also post show notes there show notes there I also post show notes on life of the school.org uh, music on this and every episode is by X magicians and Jake Jenkins uh, you can follow me on Twitter at mr Matthew tweets or at life of the school uh, you cannot follow John on Twitter because he does not tweet well he has a Twitter account but his last post was in 2017 so uh, but you can find him on Facebook if you go into any of the bio teacher communities. <laughs> All right, so thanks for joining me and I'll talk to everybody soon.